This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. What will you choose? No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you in. Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's that time again, isn't it? Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Real EFL League One podcast with me, your host, Matt Isles. Well, of course, as ever, we take a look at the games from League One that have happened over the last few days, but only taking a look at two of them this week due to a lot of sides having international call-ups, meaning we only had two matches from possible 12 being played at the weekend as we look at Exeter against Leighton Orient and Stevenage against Carlisle, plus also discussing the big talking points from the League One world, including a new managerial appointment at Charlton, one potentially coming in at Fleetwood, and also maybe some takeover news for Carlisle United. Plus also, we're going to have a review of every side, 1-24, to 24, in table order, and just give them a little early season review in the third tier. And you're obviously with me, your host, Matt Isles, but I'm not alone on this podcast. I'm joined by three guests in Chris Lamin, a Lincoln City fan, Keelan Sarson, a Peterborough United supporter, and Johnny Hunt, a Red Ink supporter, all, of course, able to give their opinions onto the various matters across League One over the last few days and week. Hope we are all well, gentlemen. All good. Yeah, all good. Very well, thank you. Good, good. Well, let's get down to business. Of course, before we start, we just want to say, uh, please give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you listen on. And we do really appreciate the reviews and support we've had already so far in our very early infancy as a podcast covering all things League One. Right, let's talk about the two games that happened yesterday then, starting off with the match between Exeter and Leighton Orient. Of course, Exeter started the day top of the table. Leighton Orient were 2-1 winners, their first away victory of the season for Richie Welland's side. They went a goal down with Dimitri Mitchell, put Exeter into the lead. Joe Piggott and Rural Soteria would score in the second half to get them a 2-1 victory. Um, obviously, it was a, a victory that was certainly well-deserved from Leighton Orient's point of view. Um, Chris, I mean, they had... 18 shots compared to Exeter's six. They had an XG of just under two. Exeter had an XG of not even 0.2. So, really, the score in every way weren't exactly as it should have done in Leighton Orient completely deserving of the victory. Yeah, it's a massive win for Leighton Orient, this, isn't it? I think it really 
has the potential to kickstart their season. I've been a little bit surprised by their slow start, I'll be honest. Um, I thought they were really, a really, really good team in, in League Two last season. Uh, and obviously, Exeter have had a fantastic start as well. So this is a, a huge win for Orient. They definitely deserved it, no denying that. Um, Joe Piggott very much looking like his old self as well. Um, getting his first goal of the season, I think that'll be huge for him. You know, he's had a bit of a stop-start couple of years. So for him to kind of get pretty much be the number one starting striker, I think he'll, he'll nail that place down himself for him to get on the score sheet and just had to have a really good all-round performance, holding the ball up really well, linking teammates really well, and of course got his first goal. Yeah, I think I think this is more of a, a real positive for Orient than it is a huge negative for Exeter. They were missing a few players um, for various reasons, injuries, suspensions, and, and, and of course, call-ups as well. Um, I don't think this detracts too much from Exeter's fantastic start. But I think it's a massive credit to, to Orient for getting over the line. A deserved victory that they can really kind of kick on with, really. Yeah, you mentioned there about Exeter having players missing. First team has included Admiral Musquay, Ilmari Niskan and Dion Rankin, Jack Aitchison, and Vincent Harper all missing. And those players there would have definitely been in the 18 for the game yesterday. But one special mention for Exeter, Jake Richard, who only turned 16 in August on his league debut, got an assist for Dimitri Mitchell's goal. So what story that was for uh, Jack, uh, sorry, Jake Richards, the young Exeter player who really came out as the shining light for the Grecians yesterday. Um, talking about Leighton Orient, uh, Chris, you know, it was the first time yesterday they actually played with a back three. And I think, you know, the big thing that was the real key thing was Jordan Graham and Theo Archibald. You know, I mean, Jordan Graham's got a fantastic delivery, especially at right wing back. I think Theo Archibald was so crucial into how they got out of League Two last year. It just looked like they had a bit more of a, a better balance in their team. They had the back three of Omar Beckles, Brandon Cooper and, and Tom James. It just felt like it was a little bit, you know, it was a lot of a different change to what they played previously. But it just seemed to work a lot better than what it's done previously. Do you think they might have that moving forward, that formation? I think that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because they've been pretty religiously a 4-2-3-1 throughout the whole season so far. And Exeter have, have pretty much been a, a back three for the whole season. So it always asks that question. You're going away from home against a tough team, top of the league. Do you change your shape to match the opposition and to try and give you that kind of extra extra balance there? Or has it been something that's been worked on for, for a little while that's maybe a, just a natural kind of progression uh, of, of the team and you know ultimately it worked didn't it and, it, and it, it worked kind of quite convincingly as well they created by far the better chances so yeah I think if you, from the outside looking in it it would seem sensible to kind of keep that shape it clearly works and I think the point you're making of the delivery from out wider when you've got someone like Piggott playing centrally that you can play off and, and can link play so well I think that can be a really good system for them you know it, it'd be interesting to see whether they persevere whether it was just a one game a one game thing or whether it was something that they can stick with going forward but you know, if I was Richie Wellens, I'd be tempted to do it again next week. Moving on to the Exeter point of view then, Keenan, obviously, as I mentioned, they did have several first-teamers missing for various things. They sort of mentioned call-ups and probable sort of maybe little injury doubts and, and whatnot. They did have a very young bench. Uh, players like Padro Borges, Matthew Beardmore came on. Obviously, Jake Richards would start in midfield. Uh, they would have five players from their squad that would come through their youth system that was involved yesterday. Sonny Cox was up front, of course. They had Alex Hartridge also playing at the back as well. 
is it one of those of Exeter where because they've got such a small squad and they do have a lot of those key first teamers missing, does it massively hinder them moving forward to try and win games? Because it is one of those, you know, they aren't blessed with the biggest bit of the squad, are they, or depth? We spoke about that on the previous podcast. Is that something that may cause them a few issues moving forward, perhaps? Yeah, no, I think, as um, as Chris mentioned, I think as much as, you know, it's not the, not the best result for Exeter, it doesn't really detract from their great start. And it was a really positive performance from Leighton Orient that managed to to pick up the away win. But I think Exeter, they know that they have quite a threadbare squad. They know that they'll give youngsters an opportunity. And those youngsters have impressed in the past for them and will probably impress in other games. I think Leighton Orient just came out of the traps in that away game and really just looked hungry for that win. And in the first half, they could have been two or three nil up. So I think more so when you look at that game in isolation, it was Orient coming out of the traps, you know, hungry for a victory in Devon. But I do think... Obviously, it's a very Fred Bear squad at Exeter. Gary Caldwell will know that. They've sold a lot of their star talents in the summer and it's making do with what you have at your disposal. And I think players like Sonny Cox and obviously Richards, if he's being handed a first-team debut in League One against Leighton Orient, he's obviously highly regarded at the football club. So I think Exeter know what their issues are. They obviously know they're going to have a Fred Bear squad. And when with a Fred Bear squad, you are going to lose occasionally. They, you know, they're not, you know, they are near the top of League One, but they're not historically a, a major League One club. And so they know what their limitations are. And I think it's just using those limitations. And when you get those results, just pushing on and, you know, you, you're not going to be invincible all season long. And those those losses will happen. It's how they, they bounce back from them. And Gary Caldwell will hope next week when he has more of his first team players available, they can they can bounce back with a win. Well, Gary Colwell even said yesterday in his post-match interview that Orient did deserve to win. And to be fair, as you see the stats, uh, in terms of 18 shots and their XG being under two, you can understand why Leighton Orient, certainly based off stats, were rightly the winners yesterday at St. James's Park. The other game yesterday took place, Stevenage 2, Carlisle 2. Stevenage back on top of the table, only though by a single point, even though they did... Uh, draw with Carlisle, who scored in the last minute with Joe Garner. Carlisle had two shots, two on target, so they've been pretty lethal and they were given the chances yesterday. Steve Evans said the game should have been wrapped up in the first half, John. And he's also, not like Steve Evans, the main about refereeing, he said about <laughs> Sean Maguire's goal, he said it's offside, but the goalkeeper, Tayash Hammond should deal with it. He said about Sean Maguire, he's further back than Sainsbury's, which uh, I think he's, Steve Evans is quite unhappy about that goal. I don't think you can really uh, read into that one uh, too much. And I don't think it's going to be easy to spot that he's not. Um, it probably feels like one of those games for Stephen. It's probably for the first time really this season, they would have felt like that's two points dropped, given that they were in real good control. And Steve Evans was a very frustrated figure come full time. Yeah, definitely. And I think that the difference as well, um, Jockel Anderson, the keeper for Carlisle, who's been been around on loan quite a few times, obviously from Reading originally, absolutely superb performance. You know, he kept them in the game yesterday. <clears throat> Four or five absolutely unreal saves. And then, you know, when you're hanging in there in a game like that and he's kept him in it and then go and get the goal at the end. Uh, I saw Steve Evans's interview and it was very abrasive. He was having a go at the interviewer. Um, yeah, and, and you would be disappointed that you've not come away with three points. But as a Carlisle, you know, building on from the performance of last week, the win to get a point away at Stevenage is huge. Um, you know, and uh, it's it's just another stepping stone for them for Simpson, how he's been doing because he was under pressure 
Um, Steve Evans is always going to give out about whatever, but you know he's the, the top of the league, which is huge, you know, for them and that momentum that they're building. They're still a team that's hard to beat. So yeah, there's a lot of positives there. You know, Jamie Reed scoring both goals for them yesterday. Um, you know, they, he could have had a hat trick again for the keeper saving it. Um, it's 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 you know it's, that's, that's football. It's, it's it's a point two drop for them, point game for Carlisle. Um, and it's an interesting fact for you. Andresen's dad was world strongman champion in 1994. Wow! There you go. I would never. I would never know. You learn something every day. <laughs> um, in terms of obviously the goals yesterday, I mean Jamie Reed. If you were a regular watcher of League Two last year, he was scoring those types of sort of goals, especially the second one where he was getting inside the box, he was taking defenders on one v one, and then hitting it with a lot of power. So you could maybe make the argument some people that maybe Yokul Andreasen should have saved it, but to be fair. Jamie Reed really got a hold of it. And again, they use set pieces to their advantage. Pierre Gianni for Reed's first of his brace, flicking it on and Reed there in the right place to turn and, and put it in. But obviously, Carlisle, you know, Joe Garner scored late to get their first win of the weekend last week against Shrewsbury. He's then come on against Stevenage and, and scored late on. He talked about Paul Simpson, the, 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 the character that they showed. And I've yeah. seen Carlisle a little bit this season defensively, they're going to be very solid. They're not going to give too much away. They are going to frustrate the life out of teams. It's just whether or not they can do it for 90 minutes. But I feel like this result's really important for them because it shows that they do have that character, that real sort of resolve to go right to the very end. You know, and it looks like the game is going away from them. Yes, they got a bit of luck because Stevenage didn't take their chances. Yeah. But, you know, they were very much able to still stay in the game and, and believe. And they did thrive on sort of Stevenage mistakes. And, you know, Steve Evans did bemoan that sort of yesterday and, and someone like Joe Garner you know Johnny you kind of undervalue sort of how strong a player he is he's always had that goal scoring ability I've yeah. always really sort of rated him you know when he's been at certain clubs you know Preston I remember in League One you know nearly 10 years ago playing a massive part in them going into the championship so you know as the years have gone on as a striker you always feel like you know you don't lose that scoring touch and having someone like that from the bench is always quite a, a vital thing isn't it and always I guess when seasons kind of happen and your team is chasing, he's always a really good player to sort of bring on and it's proved over the last two games. Yeah, definitely. I and mean, you can't, you know, experience like that is priceless, isn't it? And like he, you know, ended the, right in the six-yard area, causing problems as he does. And, you know, was there poachers finish, if you want to call it that. And that's a player like that. He's done it for such a long time that he's proven at this level. Um, you know, yes, Steven, you know, they've, Defended could have been better for it, but you got, can't take any way away from Carlisle to stick in, you know, to get that point out of that game is huge. Absolutely. So they've got four points from their last two games. So there's only two matches that took place in League One yesterday. Of course, a lot of them will be rescheduled and rearranged to be played at a later date. Of course, as I mentioned in the intro, there was a new manager appointed at Charlton Athletic this week, and it's a man that Chris will know all about, Michael Appleton is the new child manager on a two-year contract. Andy Scott, the technical director, said uh, he has the ability to take the current group and mould them into a successful team. He knows exactly what it takes to get a team promoted. Of course, he got Oxford uh, promoted at a League Two in 2016. And the big thing about Michael Appleton is the ability to work and develop young players, which is vital given our outstanding academy. And Charlton, of course, already this season, have used the likes of Karoy Anderson, Daniel Carnu, Asimway, Ness, as well on uh, a few occasions this season. Uh, and, of course, he penned a two-year contract till 
2025. Chris, first of all, smart appointment, is it, by Charlton in your eyes? I think it's a really interesting appointment. I think stylistically, it really fits the squad. Um, Michael Appleton plays excellent football, ball on the deck, will always play through the thirds. Arguably, um, he's quite... Um, Rita has a bit of a reluctance to move away from that at times when, when maybe it's uh, it's needed. So whether you see kind of sticking to your guns and, and, and fighting through the thick and thin without changing your system, without changing your philosophy as a positive, or do you see that as a negative? I suppose it depends on how the results are. But does he does his style of football fit Charlton Athletics squad? Absolutely. For the reasons that, the, that Andy Scott mentioned, it makes it makes total sense in that regard. Um I suppose from a Lincoln City's expect, um, perspective, you know, we had Michael Appleton at our club for, for just under three seasons. Uh, took over in really difficult circumstances after Danny Cowley and Nicky Carrier left, who were kind of synonymous with the club's rise. It was a real difficult situation to come into and completely changed the style of football. It did take a season, but it, it, it massively improved. Overhauled the squad. Some of those players went on uh, to, to, to play in, in the Championship and play in higher levels. Um, one of those being Teo Eden, who was signed by Lincoln City as a central midfielder, Taylor so moved over to left back under Michael Appleton at Lincoln. Hugely impressed, got a move to Blackburn, and has now recently this summer signed for Charlton Athletic. Uh, so it'd be really interesting to see how how that goes. I suppose to try and step away from the kind of super positives, um, there will always be a couple of question marks as there are over over any managerial appointment. Um, I think the big one would be his man management style because on the pitch, there's no doubt that he fits the squad. Off it, there may be some question marks there. What we noticed with him at Lincoln and it happened at Blackpool as well was if a player loses their place in the squad or has a, you know, has a minor disagreement, there ain't no way back. You know, he's, he's, he's very, very strict in that regard and does have a, a slight reluctance to listen to the kind of sports science side of things. He's very much kind of quite old school in that mentality. You're either fit or you're not. Um, you know, it will depend on each individual player, whether they really kind of resonate with that or not. You know, a lot of those younger lads that have come through academies, either Charlton's academies or other ones uh, over the last few years, will probably be used to uh, quite a lot of injury management and, and kind of physical load management rather than just kind of be a, a red or green, you know, go or stop. So it'll be interesting um, to see kind of how, how that side of things settles. But I fully expect Charlton to, to start to move up the table now. I felt they had a squad good enough to be really pushing towards the top end this season. And maybe it was just uh, it was just Mr. Holden who was holding them back somewhat. So, yeah, I massively expect, expect Charlton to improve now on the pitch with results. Yeah, and I think, to be fair, I, I really sort of agree with a lot of what you said there. And I think the thing that really sticks out for me was what sort of Andy Scott said about young players. And Michael Appleton is one of the big sort of people for doing that. You saw in his time at Lincoln, he's obviously introduced to, to English football, the likes of Brendan Johnson. I mean, you know, what's he gone on to do since? I'm not too sure. But um, the likes <laughs> of Alex Palmer have come from West Brom on loan. Uh, TJ Yoma signed permanently. Anthony Scully got a big move to Wigan. Now, they all came in at him under Lincoln and they've all had really sort of good careers and, and obviously, you know, Palmer's playing for West Brom, Brendan Johnson, obviously, jokingly, as I said, but he's just obviously completed a, a big money move to, to Tottenham. So he's never been afraid to bring younger players in. I remember his Oxford side sort of having the likes of John Lundstrom, George Baldock, Kamar Roof, obviously, who, who've gone on to have good careers. They were young players, so he knows the academy system very, very well. And obviously, Charlton 
as I mentioned, have, have used their academy and they're very, very sort of big and, and want to develop it into a, a real sort of good thing for their team moving forward. So I think in terms of that, that is probably one of the reasons why they've gone for Appleton, maybe ahead of some other managers that were sort of linked to the job. So you really do have to say in what they want, I think Appleton probably is the right manager in terms of they want younger players in and he wants to develop them. And as we know, and as Chris has sort of said, I certainly believe he has down the years proved that to be the case. Talking of potential uh, new management coming in is Fleetwood. Now, it is rumoured, and we still haven't got no official confirmation, that Lee Johnson is to be coming in as the new manager. He started this campaign as the manager Hibernian in the SPL, but he was sacked towards the end of August after a poor run of form. He was interviewed for the job early this week. He's impressed the Fleetwood hierarchy. And, uh, of course, it was it was understood, apparently, that Carl Robinson has even turned the job down. So, Lee Johnson's going to be straight into management, it seems, not long after he was sort of sacked. Um, I'm one of these people who is not the biggest of Lee Johnson fans, and it's not just because he managed the sort of team down the road from Bristol Rovers, but I think he's not had the greatest of managerial careers, but a lot of things have fallen into his lap. I mean, his only notable achievement is the Papa John's Trophy win with Sunderland in 2021, I feel like he's someone who, for me, I think speaks a lot, of, gives you talks a lot of good game, but then can really let himself down. He's a very much reminding me of like a David Brent from The Office. I think some of his quotes are, are very bizarre, <laughs> very, very odd. And I think he is sort of a, quite a parody of himself. And I don't think he's one of those that, that really knows it. But if he does, then he's certainly sort of playing the joke really, really well. Um, I'll go to you first, Keelan. It feels like, as I said on the last podcast, I'm not so sure that Fleetwood were going to go down this road of getting an experienced manager in because a lot of them that have come out of work may look at this and think it might damage their reputation more. But Lee Johnson wants to go straight into the thick of it and come in as the Fleetwood manager. Is it a good appointment in their current predicament if anything doesn't change at the 11th hour? Do you see it as a good fit moving forward? No, I think, as you, as you mentioned, Lee Johnson is a very divisive figure talks talks a good game in in post-match and in, in press conferences and does love himself quite a bit but I think when you look at his managerial resume he has achieved somewhat success with some clubs you know proven in league one arguably with Sunderland got them into the playoffs when it was quite a turbulent time at Sunderland but I think you start looking at the CV and really when you last when you look at his last job at Hibs in, in Scotland. He was a very, very unpopular figure in those parts. And it seems maybe he's, you know, jumping at the opportunity to come back into EFL management with Fleetwood to maybe prove a point that that was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a, a misstep in his managerial career and he can succeed at Fleetwood. But yeah, I don't, I don't see it as the most inspired appointment. I think someone like Carl Robinson might have done better at Fleetwood or Fleetwood maybe should have fought outside the box a bit more and gone for a, another young manager instead of giving it to Lee Johnson. Who's, I think he, he's shown in his managerial career he can get clubs to a decent level, obviously at Bristol City in the Championship, but he does seem to fall off and he seems to, to rub fan bases up the wrong way. So it'll be an intriguing one if he's appointed at the Cod Army. 
Johnny, you know, Keenan's made a very, very good point there in terms of, you know, he has led some teams to decent success. I mean, he arrived at Oldham as sort of just coming out of a playing career. This yeah. is a very long time ago, well over a decade ago. He came into a struggling Oldham side and kept them promoted and kind of stabilised them a little bit. And they've never really been able to sort of keep that stability as we know with all their problems, what they've had now in the National League. Kind of walked in at Barnsley, struggled. And, you know, then he obviously got that bigger move to Bristol City where he was as a player and, Obviously, it was a division up. So there is previous history of him going in and kind of not being the, the sort of firefighter previously to some clubs, but stabilising them and getting them up the table. So maybe it's quite a good appointment in that sense that, you know, where Fleetwood are, he has the experience of it and kind of knows how to get out of it, perhaps. Possibly, but I think it's, you know, we said, it's, it's not that inspiring for a fan of the club. You're kind of looking at him and it's like, oh, OK. And he seems to have kind of like a shelf life with a club. He kind of goes in and then it's maybe okay for a while and then things go wrong. It's kind of like his message kind of gets, does, does something impact-wise and then, then loses it and then loses his job. But like to get sacked from Hibs, you know, not long ago and then all of a sudden he's into another job. And you can't tell me there's not a better manager suited for Fleetwood at that level that maybe isn't ego, as we've talked about with this gentleman. You know, I think, I think there's better options out there for them, but... I guess, you know, that if he proves us wrong, fair play. Like, it's, it's you know, there's some managers that don't succeed in different roles and then find the right club. We've talked about Steve Evans getting the right roles at certain clubs and it works, other clubs it doesn't. So maybe this is the fit for him, but we'll see. Yeah, we will see indeed if he does eventually become the Fleetwood manager, but it is widely reported that it's only just a few sort of hours away and a few days away. So this may be looking like a bit of a case of the I's and the T's being dotted and crossed on the contract. Uh, a little bit of other news actually is coming in. Carlisle uh, are in advance talks of some new investment with an American family. Tom Piatak uh, has reportedly entered negotiations about investment uh, with the club. There was a statement released Friday that said that they are in a period of exclusivity, which means, of course, that they uh, have a, a sort of small window and a small notice to try and get a deal done. Of course, it has to be EFL approved, uh, this investment. Uh, there's going to be a official sort of members meeting to discuss the proposals with the uh, CUOSC, which is the Carlisle Supporters Trust. So, of course, they're going to obviously know that speak about uh, what could potentially lie and be in the future. A little bit of background on Tom Piertak. He's American. Uh, he is the sort of CEO and owner of Magellan Transport Logistics. He is uh, Florida-based uh, and obviously would look to bring an investment in to Carlisle, of course. And we've seen in the lower leagues over the last sort of few years and in the Premier League, a lot more American investment and ownership coming in. Of course, Gillingham last year in League Two got an American investor who has pumped a lot of money in. So maybe it looks like Carlisle might go down the same road. Uh, and it's coming at not a bad time as well, because given the transfer windows just shut, there's no need to, obviously, with the exclusivity, lift the embargo while they're trying to get players in. So, obviously, they will want it to not drag on a bit of saga and hopefully it can get sorted out. But no doubt Carlisle fans will be keeping a very close eye on that as well as we will be on the real EFL. Uh, we're going to obviously now talk about teams uh, in the league, 1-24, to review their season so far. It is very early in. Only, of course, four sides have played seven games. The rest have played six. We're going to go one to 24. So we're going to go in table order uh, how we're going to do this. Uh, so obviously, because there's 24 sides, we've obviously split it uh, six teams each. So obviously, uh, certain people and certain experts want to talk 
about certain clubs and obviously give their opinions. So who's been the most impressive players? How have they seen, how have they rated the team so far that they've sort of cast their eye on and maybe which players do need to improve on? Are they achieving? Are they underachieving as a club? So we'll obviously we'll find that now with this review. But of course, before all that, I'm just going to get a quick word from our sponsors. Right, let's start then this review by talking about the tabletop as Stevenage. Now, I don't think in what we're talking, uh, we're recording this on the 10th of September, that over a month in, we would have thought Stevenage would have been top after seven matches. Of course, Keelan uh, has been keeping a very close eye on them. We've spoken a lot about them, about the squad. We know Steve Evans likes to churn signings in through the door. Obviously, he's had a history of doing it in Rotherham. He's done it before, taking teams up. Obviously, at Rotherham, he had a large war chest to do so, stabilise them in the championship. Not quite the same at Stevenage. Who has been the most impressive player for you? And also, kind of, I guess, you know, Keelan, to some extent, have you been really surprised by the way that they've started? Yeah, no, I think Stevenage this season, I don't think anyone, as you as you mentioned when they were doing their, you know, their pre-season predictions would have said a month into the season that Stevenage would be sitting top of top of the tree in League One. Obviously, they've played a game more than than a few of um, most of the division due to the ons- onslaught of postponements due to inter- international fixtures. But they just seem to be a team exuding confidence. I think players like Carl Pigiani was really crucial for them last season and he's at the heart of the defence this season. And they've bolstered well. I think we mentioned it on the last podcast when we cast an eye over their their win at Leighton Orient. They seem to have a really good blend of experience and youngsters obviously getting McNeil in on loan from Manchester United, who looks a, a really good loan buy. And it just seems to be a, a team that, you know, I think we mentioned it as well. When Steve Evans gets a team going, they they all they all want to play for him. They want to play for the badge. And it, it seems to be paying dividends at the moment. I think when you look at their standout results, I think the three wins to start the season... I mean, maybe they didn't play the strongest teams, Northampton away. But they also went to Cambridge away and won 2-1. They've won 3-0 away at Leighton Orient recently. And, you know, the 2-2 draw against Carlisle, as, as Johnny mentioned, could have been a win if, if not for the for the Carlisle keeper. So I think it's been a an unbelievable start for Stevenage. They might, you know, begin to slide down the division as the more, you know, maybe the more dominant teams or the expected teams for promotion, maybe kick into gear a bit more. But when you look at Steamridge at the moment, if, if you're a fan, you're absolutely loving life at the moment. Yeah, you are indeed, as they sit top of the table uh, after, of course, they've played seven matches. Sitting behind them are Bolton Wanderers, where probably a lot of people expect them to be. Chris Lamon, of course, has seen them. Uh, of course, uh, Lincoln were beaten by them 3-0 on the opening day. They looked pretty impressive, didn't they, in the first three fixtures. They didn't concede a single goal. They scored three in each of their opening three games, I think it was. They had a bit of a wobble when Wigan sort of shocked them in the sort of Lancashire Derby winning 4-0 and then they only drew with Burton. They got back on track with the win against Derby. Chris, I've always stood by the sort of thing that Bolton squad for me is probably the strongest in the league this year. The depth they've got is outstanding. Adeboyejo, Dion Charles up front is a phenomenal sort of two in it. And at the moment, you know, one of them doesn't actually sometimes play, which kind of says it all. So it just shows the, the quality that they've got. I think at the moment, it still feels up to me with Bolton. They've not really hit their peak yet. And that probably is quite a scary thought, isn't it? Yeah, I am... Um... In my opinion, they're the best team in the league by quite some margin at this moment. Incredibly strong squad. Really impressed by their recruitment. Not just in regards to players that they've brought in, but in that they didn't 
lose anyone hugely influential other than the loan players that they've replaced with permanent signings. I think that's a that's just a huge step forward. And it's it's just been that way, really, even from the start of the season. As you mentioned, three goals for in all three of their opening league games without ever really needing to hit second gear, to be honest. And even in that game against Wigan, where they lost 4-0, their XG, Bolton's XG was 3.98 and Wigan's was only 1.59. Um, they've actually had a higher XG than every of their opponents in all but one game. The only game that they didn't was actually the game against Bolton. It was quite close, but they, they, didn't, they, didn't, they didn't have the most. But yeah, they've had the highest XG out of everybody, um, out of every other fixture. And what's always interesting, what I like to compare at this stage of the season, I always like to compare the expected goals output compared to the actual goals. So, of course, it's such a small sample size. Expected goals doesn't tell the whole story, but it gives us a, a nice little snapshot. And what's really interesting is that their, their expected goals, both conceded and scored, bar the Wigan game, is pretty much a pretty much accurate representation of what's happening. Uh, I fully expect them just to keep going and getting better and better and better. They're, they're really, really impressive. And I think they've got a real settled squad with a spine from last season. And they just added to it. And yeah, they were good last year, of course. Playoff playoff, uh, playoff losers. And uh, I think they're going to go a step further this year if they carry on how they are. They're, they're really, really strong. I'm really impressed by them. Well, whilst you can almost say one side who's up there is, is expected to a lot of people in Bolton, not many would have thought Exeter would have been third at the moment. We've spoken a lot about them on this podcast previously, not just today, but in previous episodes. They lost a lot of players in the summer, Keelan, didn't they? We've spoken about it. Giovanni Brown, Archie Collins, Sam Nombe eventually left towards the back end of the transfer window. Smart recruitment, obviously. They've had a very settled team. The back three of Hartridge, Ameson and Sweeney have played every single game so far this season. Uh, Sinisolo has been very good in goal. He's got the joint most clean sheets. He's certainly been a, a standout for me. They've got a very strong defensive record. Um, it feels like, you know, Gary Caldwell's kind of gone in there. A lot of people probably didn't think his appointment was inspiring, but he's proven a lot of doubters wrong, isn't he, in what's been a real difficult summer of upheaval, but they've not let it affect them at all because they've gone about their business quite in good fashion, haven't they? Yeah, no, I think we, we touched on it on the last podcast that was on I think Exeter are a team that don't panic when star players leave the building. They've had it in the past before with, you know, even going back to Ollie Watkins and Ethan Ampadu leaving the club. I think they're a club that realised that, unfortunately, the size they are, they are a stepping stone to go on to a bigger club. But I think at the moment they've recruited really smartly and they went about they go about the business quite quietly. I think you mentioned Will Ameson doesn't really get that many, you know, plaudits in that in that in that defence alongside, you know, Pierce Sweeney and Alex Hartridge, who have, who have been about St. James's Park for quite some time now. But I think when you look at the star players there, I think Ryan Trevitt on loan from Brentford's really stood out for them in an, in a, in an attacking midfield role, obviously scored the recent winner away at Burton in, in a 1-0 determined victory for Caldwell's men. But also Dimitri Mitchell has really stood out. I think he's playing in a, a far more advanced role now this season scored an absolutely blinding goal against Orient. Obviously, they lose the game, but it was another positive. All, all of the displays so far have been positive. And I think a lot of Exeter fans after yesterday's game were disappointed that they'd lost a game in, in League One. And last season, they were just happy staying up. This season, there was a lot of expectation that they would struggle. So I think they're, they're a club on the up. And I think it's all in place for them to have probably another positive mid-table finish. We'll head now towards Port Vale. I mean, they are remarkably fourth after their 
opening day mauling to Barnsley. They haven't lost since then. Great recovery under Andy Crosby, as we've spoken about. Chris, again, they were a club in the summer. You know, they moved away from the sort of bringing in a lot of experienced players. They went for a younger, different type model to what they have. I think, again, recruitment, as we know, is a massive part of sort of squads these days. They've been really smart with it. A lot of players are really standing out. We've mentioned Conor Ripley already. What a good season he's had. I've been impressive. Ethan Chislett so far. Um, again, you know, it feels like a little bit sort of the underdogs are really taking shape in League One, doesn't it? Because not many would have thought, you know, again, and I keep saying it, I do sound a bit on a repeat, but not many would have put Port Vale in the top six and given as well after that opening day loss. To think that they've not lost since then, they've taken some big skulls, beating Charlton away, beating Reading at home. You know, it does feel like that maybe we've got Port Vale all wrong. Yeah, and I think huge credit needs to go to Mr Crosby after that real tough opening day fixture against against Barnsley. Well, opening result, you know, to lose 7-0 on the opening day is, is soul-destroying, isn't it? And, you know, they did they did deserve to lose that game in with the underlying numbers, but in, amazingly, they actually had an XG of 0.96 and Barnsley only had a, a 1.61. So Barnsley were incredibly... Um, kind of proficient. There were some individual errors there as well, of course, from Port Vale. So it's easy to read a lot into the the result in the moment, isn't it? And I think we reviewed that 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 week, the opening day, and you know, we're thinking, flipping egg, this is going to be this potential of it being a tough season here for Port Vale. You mentioned the recruitment, and at the you know opening day, you think, oh my god, we've taken a huge step away from our normal recruitment model. Is it all gone wrong? And I think credit to everyone at the club because no one panicked. No one panicked. They stood by Crosby. And you mentioned kind of some players that have stood out, and I agree with you on all of them. I think kind of credit has to go to everyone involved in that football club to stick together because it can be really easy to kind of splinter off a little bit and, and to maybe take your eye off the off the ball and maybe it can become a bit of a blame game at times, can't it? I'm sure we've all been involved in football matches at local levels where you, know, you have a heavy defeat and everyone's blaming each other. They've stuck into that together and they've yeah, unbeaten, unbeaten since that day, and they and they haven't they haven't deserved to lose any of those games since. It's not like they were lucky in any of those results. Um, their XG has been has been one point five six per game, four and one point one five against, and that includes that seven nil, um, that seven nil defeat to to Barnsley. So yeah, the underlying numbers suggest that they are where they deserve to be. It was maybe just it's made that a little bit more surprising just because of that opening day defeat. So if you write that off, you know, that's five games. Five games without a uh, without a defeat, four wins out of five, and only actually two home games in that as well. So, yeah, they're in a really good shape at the moment. We're going to move on now to Portsmouth. They're the only unbeaten side left in League One, but there's still a lot to be desired, I feel, with Portsmouth at the moment. I've seen them a few times this season. They have shown that they can be a real sort of team that go forward with so many numbers. You know, they love to put crosses in. I saw the statistics this morning, they put the most crosses in in the league this season and they were the highest for that. Ogilvy and Rafferty are very, very big on putting crosses in. It almost is almost their natural instinct when they get the ball, cross it in because they have got a lot of height sort of up front and they do love to, to get headers in towards goal. Bishop and Cassini Yengi, who's missing at the moment, have, have shown that. I feel like a little bit with Portsmouth though, Keelan, they are, you know, there's a lot of good still, but there's still a lot that they need to convince me still. And I don't like the idea of Joe Morrell and Packers at two midfield consistently playing all the time. I feel like they're kind of quite similar. I think that's what kind of maybe holds them back a little bit. You know, if they change certain things, maybe I think they would really propel and get a lot more wins. It just whilst it's been good that they're still unbeaten, I'm just still yet to be totally convinced that they're going to be a top two side. What, what do you, what do you think? 
Yeah, no, I think the only the only real insight I've had to to Portsmouth in, in the flesh was when Peterborough went there recently when I was in the in the away end. And I think you're spot on. I think in in the first like fifteen to twenty minutes, Peterborough dominated. But I think when when Pompey get going, they look like a real force. And I think they just they need you know they I think in the home games beforehand they drawn at home to Bristol Rovers. They you know fired blanks in certain games but when they get going they do look a force and you know they play some really quick tempo football against posh gavin white christian sadie and colby bishop really stood out and they have a lot of attacking talent i think at portsmouth there's always a pressure immediately out of the blocks to look like a, a team that wants to win promotion there's a lot of expectation at fratton park each season and i think john Massino is doing a, a good job there. It just remains to be seen. You know, I think a lot of the time, unfortunately at Portsmouth, they they seem to struggle to break the hoodoo of starting seasons firmly in their stride, breaking it, you know, starting seasons, looking like a team that c- can win games as a force. And, and then they fall away. I think it will be interesting to see how they develop as the season goes on. Will they be a team that settles to the playoffs or can they, push for that top two. But I think with players like Gavin White, Christian Sadie and Regan Paul at centre-back, who played really well in that 3-1 win against Posh, they have the players there. It just remains to be seen whether they can, I think, as as Chris mentioned, Bolton, teams like that who look like they're going to be in those automatic promotion spots. It just, it'll be interesting to see how they, how they continue on. Yeah, and it's a very similar start to what it was under Danny Cowley last year, wasn't it? It just maybe kind of feels like it could be the same. But hopefully, Portsmouth hope that's not the case. Away days are great, especially when your striker bags a last-minute winner. But there's nothing quite like playing at home. And do you know what? The same goes for McDonald's. Why not maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery? Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. It's time to start planning your next holiday adventure. Whether you're traveling to Germany for the Euros or taking your partner or kids on a much needed break to the Balearic Islands, downloading NordVPN is a must. NordVPN allows you to watch all sporting events, TV shows and films which are not available in your region by switching your location in just a click to one which is showing the content. So if you're away with the family and don't want to miss any of the action from your favorite EFL team, then NordVPN is the service for you. NordVPN also acts as your cyber bodyguard whilst online by protecting your personal data and other sensitive information like card details and passwords from falling into the wrong hands for just the price of one cup of coffee per month and can be used across six, yes, six different devices. To get the best discount off your NordVPN plan, go to nordvpn.com forward slash reallyfl. There's no risk with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee and you'll help support our podcast too. The link is in the podcast episode description box. So a massive thank you to NordVPN for supporting this podcast and you can too by going to nordvpn.com forward slash reallyfl to get a discount. The link is in the description. Uh, We're now moving on to Cambridge United. Of course, they survived last year in League One by the skin of their teeth doing it on the last day. The summer, they lost Harvey Nibs. They lost Sam Smith to Reading. But they've not worried at all. Again, we talk about recruitment. They've added some some real good bodies in there. And obviously, it's been previously spoken on the podcasts uh, about how the sort of players that they've brought in. There's a good mould there. And, and what I've noticed about Cambridge is they can seemingly win different ways. The game on Monday against Reading, they showed that they could be very aggressive, really on the front foot. Then they can play games where they sit deep, you know, um, 
play the low block, sort of play two banks of four and then look to go on the counter-attack. There's a lot of pace out wide and up front. Um, Johnny, who in the meantime, by the way, what's been all going on, has had a free course meal and has run a bubble bath. Uh, put the kettle on as well, given he's been out on the sidelines that long. Um, he's obviously, you know, he saw Cambridge against Reading and a lot of people would have thought they were going to go down. But, you know, again, it just shows that, you know, the ones that many don't think are getting fancy, they're going to go really, really well. What's what's sort of been your impressions on Cambridge so far? I think, first of all, like Mark Bonner's done a great job. You know, he's again one a manager that's flying under the radar. He's not a name. Um, you know, and watching the game on Monday as an example, he, you know, he made the change, brought in the lad, um, Ekin Burney. He scored five minutes to go. He was able to bring on three game changes in that. And it, it was kind of petering out to a draw. Um, you know, and <clears throat> the thing is, they've only let in four goals this season. So they're very organised. But you've got Ryan Bennett and Michael Morrison, who, if they stay fit, will, you know, are brilliant organisers. You can see that on the pitch with them. But, you know, they've had, was it, uh, where we have three, three wins, two losses. But the only thing is, I think they haven't played the top teams as such yet. You know, the likes of Bolton and the Derbies and the Exeters. And no offence to, to Reading or Bristol Rovers in that either, Matt. But I'm looking at teams that would be top, top, six, <laughs> top six sides that that would be the benchmark for them. I think, you know, they've got some really good players like Paul, Paul Digby, um, Kachunga, Brophy. There's, you know, if he can keep players injury free, I, I, I think, you know, Cambridge fans would be delighted the way they're doing. And like, they'll stay up quite easily. I think, you know, comfortably mid-table at least. Yeah, I think one thing that was noticeable when I saw the game Monday was sort of combinations. I thought the combination and the, the work of Brophy and Bennett on that right side was very, very good. Liam Bennett certainly really impressed me, the, the sort of Cambridge right back in Brophy. He's had a real strong start. Yeah. You mentioned Akena Beery. He's in really good form. So they've got players really hitting the high notes at the moment Have Cambridge. So that's the top six. Time. We're now moving away from it. Uh, Oxford United are in seventh. Of course, a lot of people tipped Oxford to go very, very far. This season, Liam Manning, a progressive coach, plays really good football. He's now had his say on his squad. Certain players have really impressed. Mark Harris, Tyler Goodrum um, is sort of having his breakthrough season. He's sort of looking like he's a real star. Uh, Stefan Negru as well has gone really well. He's just penned a new contract. It's a team we expected Liam Manning to sort of build, given what it was like at MK Dons. They've sort of so far shown they could be a really good side going forward. They can attack well. I think it's been a real positive season so far for Oxford, hasn't it, John? And it probably pains you a little bit to say. <laughs> it does, but we move on. Um, like <clears throat> For me, they had two of the best results this season. 3-1 away at Barnsley, 2-1 away at Derby. Um, again, I don't think you know people were expecting Oxford to be up there challenging. Yeah, the last game with the two sending offs, I think. Um, but he's a good manager. Um, they, you, know, you can tell the, the team's organised, the players want to play for him. I... I and I'm not you being nasty. I don't think they'll be up that high at the end of the season. I think they'll be comfortably around sort of, you know, mid-table. But let's say Tyler and Mark Harris score three goals each. Again, his guys keeping fit. Goal scorers in this league are vital, aren't they? You need guys that's going to get you 15 goals a season at least. Um, so it's it's you know it's, it's a positive. It's huge. And then you say Liam Manning. I think is another one of those managers who doesn't get the credit he deserves. No, he doesn't at all. And it'll be interesting to see how well they will go and if they can maintain the pre-season expectations. Uh, it's only right we sort of talk Lincoln City and there's only one person for it, which is obviously Chris. 
Um, it feels like to me, Chris, it's probably as you would expect as a Lincoln City sort of supporter. It feels like it's a lot the same as last year in terms of at home. You know, you're proving very difficult to, to sort of play away from home. You build a very sort of defence first kind of base. Very tough to play against. You know, maybe though, you've maybe not quite got the, the, the kind of results. Maybe some of the, the supporters are expecting. I don't know. It looks like it from a little bit on the outside rather than sort of on the inside. Obviously, you've got the better perspective than everybody quite content with how it started so far yeah very much so uh i don't i don't think Lincoln City supporters expect themselves to be pushing the top six this season i think we've all felt we could take a step forward from where we where we were last season and even though lincoln finished in 11th the majority of the season they were in that kind of lower mid-table area i think the, the the finishing position was maybe slightly elevated compared to maybe the standard of the squad the squad has been improved in the summer there's no denying that um I think the blueprint was already there and it was kind of adding to that blueprint that Mark Kennedy has, has created, which is, is, as you mentioned, particularly away from home, being incredibly hard to beat. Um, do concede very few opportunities, give few chances away. Um, don't create a huge amount ourselves, um, but don't give a lot away. And, and the numbers kind of, uh, kind of back that up a little bit. Um, there was a bit of a criticism last season. If there was to be a criticism, it was, it was that there were too many draws. Lincoln picked up more points against the teams in the top half than they did against the teams in the bottom half. And to to have two, three, no home wins is, is really positive for them. Um, and they only drew with Bristol Rovers and Northampton by conceding last minute goals. And against Northampton, we'll touch on Northampton soon, but against Northampton, Northampton definitely de deserved those two goals. Um, but ultimately being 2-0 up was a good position to be in. And, you know, Lincoln, Lincoln could have could have four more points than they've got now, which is far more than any of us kind of predicted. I can't see a lot changing, to be honest, uh, from where they are. I think as I can see a Lincoln kind of hovering around that kind of top 10, maybe just below the the real kind of top playoff chasing teams. Yeah, I think Lincoln are just kind of building on from a solid start last season. There's no real expectations to have a genuine push for the playoffs, but I think all of us believe there's, a, there's an outside chance that we, that we could. If you remain hard to beat, keep yourself in games and then anything can happen. But yeah, I, I think kind of much of the same, really. Yeah, and in terms of individual players in for the whole of League One, in terms of being really impressive, Danny Mandry at times has been exceptional for Lincoln this season. I think he's up there as one of the highest assist uh, sort of creators in the division. So if he stays consistent, and of course, as we know with Lincoln, as sort of Chris has touched upon, the way that they are, they're going to be inside, hovering in and around again, that sort of top half position. Uh, let's touch on Barnsley then, Keelan. I feel like for me, they've probably been the most inconsistent. You've seen the best of them, seen a little bit of the worst of them. Obviously, I was a bit unsure about how Neil Collins would fare at Barnsley. I, I really could not call this appointment. And I still probably can't after six games, to be honest. I don't know whether it's going to be good moving forward or or kind of maybe not quite be as impactful as maybe what previous managers have done, like Michael Duff or sort of, you know, Valerian Ishmael. How would you assess Barnsley so far? Because ever since they've had that 7-0 win, it's kind of really kind of more petered out than it hasn't at the moment. Yeah, no, I think they're almost victims to having the most unbelievable high on the opening day. And as I think Chris mentioned with the XG, they were slightly fortunate to beat Port Vale by seven, by seven goals. They were very efficient in front of goal and really put a lot of crosses into the box that troubled Port Vale throughout that afternoon at Oakwell. And I think since then, as you rightly mentioned, it's it's been an incredibly inconsistent. You know, to, they lost 3-1 to Oxford and, and Peterborough. And I was at that, that away game at Oakwell as a posh fan. And 
Barnsley did they they looked a good side, but the minute we got the equaliser, they just completely fell apart. And I don't know if it's it's obviously a transition season for a lot of Barnsley fans and and you know the personnel at Barnsley. They lost some really key players. They lost obviously they lost Kitching at the back as well. Mads Anderson as well went to Luton. James Norwood was a bit of a a surprise sale all the way down to the National League. But they've, they're back on track now. They've they've won hard away games at, at Wigan and Cheltenham to maybe calm the mood down a bit in 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 Yorkshire. And I think when you look at some standout performers, Devanto Cole is is the top scorer in League One, which doesn't really seem to be mentioned that much. Obviously, got a hat trick on the opening day, so that inflates that slightly. But players like Barry Cotter as well down the channels looks a real good 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 player for Barnsley so far, but. Yeah, I think this season, if, if you're a Barnsley fan, I think it's just going to be one of those seasons where they, they win a lot, they they lose a lot, and they're quite a patchy team, and they'll have to make do with probably a mid-table finish after you know, getting to a playoff final under Michael Duff last season. They've had to really restart, and yeah, it's it's been up and down if you're a Barnsley supporter. We're moving on to the team in 10th in Wickham. They were sort of in and around the top 10 last season. It looked like it could be a real disaster of a season after their two opening losses. Really recovered well uh, in that time. They've obviously beaten Bristol Rovers away. Uh, and obviously as well, they've sort of been able to just steady the ship a little bit after a real sort of ropey start in which they suffered, of course, losses to Exeter at home and Lincoln away. Johnny, I've sort of seen Wickham, and obviously we touched upon it previously. You know, they're still very much both eras of Ainsworth and the new one under Bloomfield. Very good from set pieces, very effective. Joe Lowe's got three goals already this season. Richard Keogh has sort of added to it as well. I think Leahy to Joe Lowe is the best combination, I think, in League One this season. So it does probably tell you you about how good they are from sort of set pieces. Again, they're probably a little bit in transition. They were the most interesting side coming into this season. Now, how would they fare? What would they be like? under Matt Bloomfield, and it's still probably a little bit up in the air, isn't it? You're still a little bit unsure as to, to what they're going to be like. You don't, I still don't know in my eyes. What do you, what do you make of it? Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's one of those, like you said, the transition we've talked about, Ainsworth and his style of football and, and Bloomfield's coming in. But, like, you know, that pressure at the start, losing those two games, and you could think, is, is, you know, is the possibility that he may could lose his job if it doesn't change? He's changed it, and yet the football isn't his football yet. But to get the results that he's done and the momentum that he's got. And again, it comes down, he's got players like Theo McCleary, experienced guys in there, but also guys like Dale Taylor, Josh Bowen, Harry Bowes. They're, they're, they're a good squad and they, 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 they know how to win. And he, I think, will do a good... I think lot be looking, you know, the magic magic ball. I think, you know, they will be up there in the top, at least top, top eight next, at the end of the season. Because I think he'll he'll work it out what he wants, and it, and it will be a work in progress. There'll be a, you know the odd bad result, but I think you know as a manager again, he's a, he's someone that will that is, is really going to come to the fore. Let's move on then to Derby Keelan. They feel like to me there is so much pressure on at Derby. It almost feels like every home game they are just expected to win. Not quite translated like that, as we've mentioned. They've lost to Wigan and Oxford, and they did beat Fleetwood at home recently it just feels like there's so much expectation and Paul Warren's really got to manage that and I feel like he's the best person to do so because he can just sort of calm things down maybe expected a little bit more from Derby I must admit only an 11th at the moment certainly still got a lot more to give um 
how how do you assess them so far this season? Because again, it still feels a little bit like Bolton. They've not had the results to back it up. There's still a little bit more to give from Derby's point of view. Yeah, and I think, yeah, as you rightly mentioned, there's there's always so much pressure on Derby. There was pressure on them last season, I think, where they managed to get Paul Warren in through the door. Paul Warren is a proven promotion winner as a League One manager with Rotherham, did it time after time with with Rotherham. And I think this season so far, it hasn't really got going for them, similar to Barnsley in the fact that it's been a very up and down, topsy-turvy start. Paul Warren usually seems like a calm head in the dugout, but he doesn't seem particularly comfortable in the hot seat with the Rams currently. I think certain comments that he made about the transfers, there was a lot of talk about Ian Cashin leaving the building and a lot more of the youngsters tempted by moves away. And I think he made comments about certain individuals maybe not being up for the fight at Derby and wanting moves away. But I think, as you say, you would imagine the Derby you know, machine will eventually kick in and get going. I think you've had glimpses of it. Obviously, I'm, I saw you know, highlights from when they went to London Road and beat Posh 4-2. I think Martin Waghorn's been very impressive for them, scored a hat-trick in about 15 minutes in Cambridgeshire. And they've got players like you know, Connor Hurahan, who you just expect at League One level to, to carry games for them. But I do think there's been players... You know, some of the signings that they brought in, I think Sonny Bradley's really not set the world alight coming in at Derby. I think, you know, they expected a defender that's been with Luton all the way up to the Premier League to really come in and and be that rock at the back. And he's he's not really been that. And so I think once they get into their rhythm a bit more, you know, there's been recent results, the 4-2 win at Posh. I think and when they get into their rhythm and you know, no offence to the likes of Stevenage, Exeter and Port Vale at the, at the top of the table at the moment. You do expect them to fall off slightly and you would expect Derby to come into their own a bit. But it has been a slow start and a slow start that will worry Derby fans because I think a lot of teams like Preston can vouch for it. And teams that have been stuck in League One really trying to get back in the championship. It's a it's a hard division to break out of. And I think... Rams fans were so so much expectation before the season. I think they just want to get out of the vision no matter what. And they'll just hope that they can put things right and get going. So for the first time tonight, I'm going to be sort of discussing uh, a couple of sides in League One so far this season. And the first one's going to be Blackpool. It's been a narrative that's been played out before when they got promoted last time out of League One under Neil Critchley. They started very, very slowly. I think in the first half of the season, at one point, they were in the bottom four and then just completely exploded and propelled to get into the uh, top six. I think they finished third and comfortably just steamrolled winning the, the playoffs, didn't they, obviously? I won't bring up who they beat. Don't worry, Chris. Um, but I think it's been disappointing a little bit under Neil Critchley in terms of, you know, it was expected to be quite sort of slow. They obviously are a side who do slowly build. But I think to be a little bit goal shy, as they have, is quite disappointing when they've got a lot of quality still there. You know, Shane Lavery, yeah, he hit a brace, I think, against Burton on the opening day, but not really seen much of him. I think Hamilton's still got a lot to give. I know Jordan Rhodes got going in, in the Wigan against Wigan uh, a couple of weeks ago. You know, there's still a good base there that Critchie had from in League One, the likes of Ekpeteta, Husband, uh, still there. So, they, they do have a lot to improve upon, certainly going forward. Defensively, they have been largely quite strong. They did implode at Lincoln, didn't they, with Norburn getting sent off. So, certainly been a real underperformance from Blackpool's point of view and certainly 
a lot more that they can give. So definitely Derby and Blackpool in 11th and 12th certainly probably know that they can be doing a lot better. We'll move on then to Peterborough. Uh, Johnny, obviously, they probably a little bit as well themselves have got to feel a little bit disappointed. You always expect Peterborough to be in and around the top eight of the division. We know it's very early on, so we're not going to try and sort of magnify, if you like, and sort of really put them under scrutiny and say that they are, I guess, really underperforming. But there has been times with, with Peterborough where they've looked, again, a little bit like Barnsley Room good. But it still feels like a little bit to me, we've seen a little bit more of the bad of them. You know, they seem to be making a lot of mistakes a little bit more defensively. And it still feels like it's maybe stemming from last year, that hor- that horrible, horrible night where well, Sheffield Wednesday did that astonishing comeback. I don't know. It just feels like the psyche sometimes a little bit posh might be a little bit wrong. Yeah, definitely. And I think the pressure's on, on Ferguson a little bit now. You know, the, the last few results, you know, he's... You know, the way they started off the season, not conceding goals in the first couple of games, and then to let in the four against Derby the way they did, it's still like they've got a hangover from the playoff and from that game. It's he's got two tough games coming up as well. well not tough. I mean, it's Orient at home, Cheltenham at home. They really have to win those games. If he doesn't, you're kind of thinking, hold on a second. You know, that's that's pressure time then for him because the way that last season ended. The whole Johnson Clark Harris fiasco of that move, how's that going to impact on the team? A player that was literally out the door is now having to come back in. Hopefully, you know, as, as a professional footballer, that will go as planned, but it does affect the, the, the team balance, doesn't it? Of, of somebody that wanted, you know, not, not to be there. So, how did you, how do you get him back into the team? How do you build that team spirit? <clears throat> and Ferguson, you know, in his, his interviews after games, you know, you can see the pressures on him. Um, so, uh, it's it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. Absolutely. And Shrewsbury, we move on to next. They're 14th at the moment. It was all changing the summer. Steve Cottrell left uh, as Matt Taylor came in. It feels like when Steve Cottrell was there, he was in control of everything, the transfers and sort of everything else. Of course, I think they brought a new technical sort of director in or head of recruitment, whatever the title is, Mickey Moore. I think it is came from Cheltenham. And obviously, you know, Matt Taylor was installed as the manager. So clearly, you know, they want the head coach. And then the person to make the transfers and do the recruitment. You know, they haven't changed their system so much, Chris, but it does feel like they've made a lot of changes to their style of play. You would have seen them when Lincoln visited Greenhouse Meadow early in the campaign with Lincoln winning by a golden. Do you see a lot of changes? Is there still a lot of work to be done for them to kind of get to where Matt Taylor wants to play? I think they're very much stuck between the two. It's it's a slow transition at the moment. And I think they're going about it in the right way. You know, you focus kind of defence first. They've been very difficult to beat. Every game that they have lost has been a tight game. The, the Lincoln game could have gone either way. Um, but when they've won, it's been a similar story. Every game has had very few chances in it, really. Um, they've only scored four goals all season so far. Not a single player in their team scored more than one. And... I do think they missed Leahy. I think that's a, that's a big miss to their squad. That's a good signing by Wickham. And you mentioned his kind of influence that he's having there already this season. And yeah, they, they played 3-5-2 predominantly last season and they're still playing 3-5-2. But they do seem to have a little bit more of the ball in those um, in that kind of build-up phase. But it's almost, from the little bits and bobs I've seen, they, they're they keeping the ball quite nicely in that back three, but struggling to kind of penetrate any further than that. And, and Dan Udo is doing his best to kind of create some attacking output, but it feels like he's doing it on his own quite a bit. There's, there's Max Matter, who they signed from Sligo, who hasn't had much of an opportunity yet, hasn't shown too much. Personally, they've been particularly um, particularly impressed by Bowman in League One level. So I think they're just a little bit like going forward. 
Um, but they're staying in games, and even the games that are losing, there they're not they're not losing they're not losing by by a large margin. Not in terms of the underlying numbers, or not in regards to chances. But they've not had more than three shots on target in any single game so far this season in the league. And I think that's the biggest that's the biggest challenge for them. So I think they'll be fine. I think they'll be you know maybe low mid table because they won't lose many games, um, and they certainly won't go on a losing run because they they stay in, they stay in games for for long periods of times. The concern I have is is very much the that attacking output. And if they can find that, if Matt Taylor can kind of build that from a solid base, then I think they'll be a very solid league one side, but very much work in progress at the moment, I'd say. Staying with you, Chris, obviously we're going to touch upon Northampton now under John Brady. Of course, last year, a big feature theirs was keeping clean sheets. We know about them. They've been very organised. You've openly sort of discussed Northampton when you've made your appearances on the podcast, being very organised and, and, and quite shrewd. They probably at the start of the season didn't quite get the luck that they maybe deserved. Certainly against Wigan away when they lost, they maybe deserved more in the game. I remember discussing it with sort of Adam, uh, who of course is, is a Wigan fan and regular on the podcast. Obviously, it was since that draw in Lincoln, it's almost kind of lifted them a bit because they've beaten Peterborough in that sort of derby. And then they've been sort of kind of looking a bit up, haven't they, really, since then? I mean, kind of as you expect, really, North Ham's not really changed too much from last season, really, have they? They're just sticking to what they know and what's been good for them. Yeah, after a slow start in the opening day, I think performance wise they've been they've been pretty pretty impressive. I was really impressed with them in the in the in the game against Lincoln, of course. I went I went there, so you've got a little bit more to go on. But they, they had a 2.96 XG in that game. And a part of that will be game state. They were 2 0 down. Lincoln were clinical, but Northampton did not deserve to be 2 0 down at any point. Um but the fact is they clawed back a two two draw, which will feel like a win when you score the last kick of the game. And they took that that high into the derby against against Peterborough. Of course, it was a 1-0 win. It was a freak goal. Um, XG in that game was 0.18 to, to Northampton and 1.71 to Peterborough. So maybe they got a little bit of luck in that game, but they didn't get the luck they deserved in the Lincoln game. But since then, that was a real turning point for me. They they, they beat Cheltenham and the, they've lost 1-0 to Wickham. Um, but Wickham scored with their only shot on target in that game. So they can definitely feel a bit hard done by... And just in regards to the eye test and kind of stepping away from stats a little bit, just from what I've seen, I've been really impressed with them. And they've just been much of a muchness from last season, really, and, and kind of added to it. I think I think Northampton will be really strong this year. I think they'll be a solid mid-table team. They'll be looking up rather than down. Their fans may have been concerned after you know the back-to-back defeats early season, but I don't think the performance has particularly warranted those results. So, yeah, they'll be they'll be fine, and and I think they'll you know they'll be they'll see this this season as a bit of a building season. Keep on the good work that John Brady put in last season. You know he's a, he's a he's a brilliant manager, and I think he's probably their biggest asset, if anything. So, yeah, I think good things to come for Northampton. And, of course, another side that came up from League Two last year were Leighton Orient. Um, we spoke about them in the podcast earlier on, of course, when they played Exeter and won. feels like now that's the real Leighton Orient that might be sort of coming to the fore. You look at the attacking options that they sort of have. Rule Soteri, who's got two goals, obviously, this season. is their top goal scorer. Very nimble, very agile player. Gets himself in really good positions. I think their recruitment over the summer was, was very, very good. I like El Mazzoni. had a good low... Uh, last year, Ethan Galbraith feels like a real coup, given how good he was for Salford last year in League Two. And I think the way sort of Richie Welland sides want to play, you saw them last year really dominate, really kind of suffocate teams in terms of how they went sort of going forward. Defensively, they were fairly solid. So I think maybe now we're starting to see them really sort of come to the fore. I did think they were going to be the best performing side out of the four that came up, not just because they were the champions, but I weighed it up. I think the style of play that they wanted would have seen them really push the top half. They've probably been a little bit too open at times this season. They've looked a little bit vulnerable 
from defending set pieces, a little bit fragile, especially in that Portsmouth game. But they probably showed against Exeter the real Leighton Orient under Richie Welland. So I think if they can keep that up and bring those performances, they're going to be a lot more successful than they're not from, from sort of here on in. So maybe now we're just starting to see Leighton Orient sort of really rise and show what they're made of. 17th place are Charlton, uh, Keel. And obviously we spoke about Michael Appleton going in there. Looks like probably a bit of the issue was the style of play under Dean Odden. We spoke, didn't we, in a previous podcast about you didn't really know what his identity is. You kind of know what Michael Appleton's is. It's a fairly young squad, a lot of change, a lot of churn with players going in, going out. We expect them to push for the top six. Maybe now this change might be the catalyst for something because so far it hasn't really worked, has it, some of the previous games that they've played in? Yeah, no, I think... I know the last team I talked about was Derby and the expectations massive at Derby for promotion. I think the preseason expectations at Charlton did point towards the fact that they were going to go for League One promotion and it hasn't gone to plan whatsoever other than a, a narrow opening day win against Leighton Orient. Wasn't a cause for concern. Sometimes teams start seasons a bit slowly, but the four defeats after that ultimately cost Dean Holden his job. And yeah, as we discussed on the previous instalment of this pod, Holden's Charlton, they just lacked an identity. And I think in those defeats, especially to Port Vale and Bristol Rovers, they were ultimately quite easy to overcome on their day. Port Vale and Bristol Rovers both got a, a late goal to win at a place in, in the Valley that should be a fortress when you're, when you're you know, at Charlton. It's, a, it's an intimidating ground on its day. And I think... The first game post Holden, they didn't show a weak mentality, came back from behind to beat a team in, in Fleetwood that maybe, you know, obviously that cost Scott Brown his job, but still a big win for the caretaker boss in Jason Pierce. And now they've got, you know, Michael Appleton coming in, who, you know, at Lincoln got, got Lincoln to a playoff final and has done has done well in the jobs that he's had in the EFL with Oxford previously as well. So it feels like a good fit. Maybe Looking back, Dean Holden wasn't the right fit and they'll hope that Appleton can come in, stamp his authority on the team and, and galvanise them up the table. You would expect them to, you know, go up the division and it'll be an intriguing one because Michael Appleton from from the outside looking in, obviously I wasn't, I'm not a Lincoln fan, but he seems, you know, like a, a, decent, a decent manager for the level. So I think Charlton fans will just hope that they can turn the tide, forget Dean Holden and, and hopefully Michael Appleton can be can be the man for them. Moving on then to Bristol Rovers. They're in 18th. A lot of people did think Rovers would be slight dark horses for pushing it. But it's been probably a little bit underwhelming, I think, if you really evaluate it. I was really sort of positive about the first two results. Drawn with Portsmouth, drawn with Barnsley. I think we've shown at times this season we can be very tough to beat. Um it's disappointing we've not kept a clean sheet. I think we might be the only side, actually, that hasn't actually kept a clean sheet this season, I think. So I, I might be wrong on that. But um, we have a lot of possession, but we don't really tend to go anywhere with it. We've had 70% of the ball, at least in the last sort of three games. Of course, those figures can differentiate in whatever site you sort of look upon. So it's within that bracket against Wickham and Lincoln and Cambridge as well. And they've only got a point out of a possible nine there. We're quite slow, quite passive to play, which, of course, is the way we want to play on the bottom. But a lot of the players, you know, Giovanni Brown, Luke Thomas, Scott Sinclair, the attacking players, Aaron Collins, they want to play that that bit faster, the tempo rising up. And it's just not really 
been there at the moment. You know, there's been some good performances in, in some players. Grant Ward had a strong season. Matt Cox on loan for Brentford's performed well. Luke Thomas has done okay at times. Jack Hunt looks really fit and strong, has come in and has done well since he signed on a free from, from Sheffield Wednesday. So, you know, it feels like the manager's using the players wrong a little bit, as I mentioned on a previous podcast. I won't go into it again, but I feel like if we just change a little bit of our style of play, you know, maybe play a little bit faster, create a lot more chances, we're going to get a lot better results than um, what we're not, because I think we are probably not showing our potential as a team. Moving on to, to Carlisle, I've spoken previously about them. Um, I think they are a very solid team. You know, like Chris said about Shrews, not going to concede a lot of goals. Defensively last year, they were very, very solid. They play a very sort of structured system. Paul Simpson's a very, very good coach. You know, you can always bank on him to, to have a settled team. You know, you can bank on them going away and getting a result like they did yesterday against Stevenage when they're really sort of under pressure. I think the balance might not quite be there at the moment. Um, I think attacking-wise, they've been a little bit toothless, a little bit disappointing at times. We've obviously seen the likes of sort of um, Luke Plange be used this season. Ryan Edmondson, Terrier Blade um, has, has been used, not really delivered yet. A lot of these sort of signings they've made. Obviously, Joe Garner's the only one who's really performed. I mean, he scored two goals in his last two games, playing just 49 minutes. So he's been very, very clinical. They seem to be a counter-attacking side. When you see their stats, they've got one of the highest stats in terms of scoring goals on the counter-attacks. So and maybe just need to sort that balance out and things will improve just that little bit more. We'll move on then to Reading. It was always going to be a difficult assignment for Ruben Sayers. Only one person who's going to talk about Reading and you don't need me to tell you who that's going to be. Johnny, I saw your game on Monday against Cambridge and it feels like what he's trying to get the players to do is, it seems a bit complicated. It seems a bit like they're all fried about it. I mean, you can see Sayers has come from a school of managing a Premier League side. So, you know, he's going to have that sort of mentality of trying to, I guess, bring that style into League One. But it feels like some of the things he's trying to ask them are a bit too much. It's kind of overcomplicating things a little bit. I mean, I'm not, a, you know, a, a coach or anything, but it kind of looks like maybe it's the players aren't quite understanding it a bit too much. You've used a lot of players. So, yes, he hasn't had that settled team. I think 26 players have been used already, which is a lot inside six matches. It was always going to be difficult for Ruben Sayers, a very young team as well. They've used their academy really well, but it just seems to me a little bit, He's he's got a lot more work to do with those players than maybe it was anticipated by a lot of people. What what would you make of that sort of assessment? And I totally agree. I mean, it's, it's, it's a work in progress and we've been behind because of all the issues with pre-season. So he's kind of almost, these players and him are learning on the job each game as we go along. And it's going to take time, you know, having the international breaks put a bit of a bonus for us as a team because he's got another couple of weeks to work with the, the players that are available to him. <clears throat> and, and that's where we are at the club. You know, Robbie Savage came out and spoke out in the week about people, fans need to be patient. You know, it's a transitional season and that, you know, it'd be, what has he said? It'd be, um, if Reading finished in the top half, it'll be sensational, which it is, it's realistic. Reading fans, we have to be realistic where we are as a club. You know, it's a, a club, you know, the, the team was thrown together very late in the transfer window and, a lot of young players, as you've seen on Monday, you know, Sam Hutchinson and David Button, you know, the two senior pros now, really, that Andy Carroll's gone. Um, we're lacking, you know, obviously Sam Smith's been out injured. Ballard's uh, coming from Southampton on loan. That's where we're really needing, the, you know, the, the, the goal scoring. We've got Kelvin Nelhibberton, who's scored two already, started off the bench. But there's, you know, there's a lot of potential there. It just needs to gel and it's going to take time. 
um, this season. You know, Nelson Abbey's coming at the back and looks like a superb player already. So, you know, I, mid-table was where it's going to be for us this season. We take, we just need to see the performances on the pitch get better. And they will in time, you know, sell, they kind of, you know, believe in sellers, uh, Bowen, um, you know, got out to get him there. So, you know, look, it's where we're at as a club. Uh, you just take it on board and have to be patient. And, you know, it's a game at a time. Moving on then to the bottom four. Wigan inside it, of course. They started at a significant disadvantage. Minus eight that they were on at the start of the season. But they have shown uh, that that's not affected them at all. As they are still in the bottom four, but are off the bottom. I think they are now on to uh, two points, I think, in the table. What I'll say about Wigan is I think there has been times that they have really impressed. They've got a very young team. Uh, that Sean Maloney sort of assembled players like Irv Scores, Sam Tickle have come from the academy. Uh, same for Charlie Hughes, who's sort of come through as well. Speaking of Sam Tickle, I've been very impressed with him. Uh, he's made the third highest saves in the league. Only Liam Roberts of Barnsley and Vinny Sinisalo have made more than him. And I think he's now an England youth international as well. I've got to call up. Charlie White, I think it's a phenomenal story. Of course, everybody knows what he's been through. Uh, he's only... Second in the rankings of goals scored, Devante Cole's got six. Him and Waghorn have got five. So it's been a fantastic return to him. Just knows where the back of the net is at this level. Done it with Bradford, Sunderland, and of course, did it with Wigan previously. Shout out as well to Tom Pierce, who is tied with actually Danny Mandrew uh, with three assists in League One this season. Great left back, great delivery on him. Seems to cross some sort of really good deep areas. And obviously, Matt Smith as well, been a real good acquisition um, from Arsenal. So you know, there's, there's been a lot to like about Wigan. A lot of the time last year in the Maloney, they had a lot of the possession. It's gone a little bit away from that now. They've had some good wins anyway. They've beaten Derby, they've beaten Northampton. Of course, Bolton away was the tip of the iceberg in that respect. They get a lot of shots on goal. They seem to get around 17 uh, this season, which is one of the highest if you look on whoscored.com or wherever else you get your data statistics. So there's a lot to like about Wigan. They're a good, a more attacking team than what they're, maybe were at the start of the, the reign under Maloney. So I think possibly they could still be in for a good season and very much, I think, are going to move away from that bottom four quite quickly. Move on then to the side in 22nd, Burton, one of three sides winless. Chris, obviously, you know, we've spoken about Burton, or sorry, you have previously. There's been a lot of turnover and a lot of turnover at, at Burton in terms of players going in, players going out. Person, I think Dino Marmaris is not a bad coach. I think he can set you up defensively. He's always got that instinct to do that. But, you know, I feel like he does have it in his sort of managerial remit to get teams to play sort of attacking football. But I do struggle where the goals are going to come from from Burton. It made a lot of changes in the summer. I thought some of their business was excellent, maybe towards the other end of the pitch. But going forward, it's not quite delivering it. It does feel like they're going to be a team that are going to struggle because there's just no out-and-out goal score, no real outlook for them at the moment. Yeah, I think the word I'd use to describe them would be unsettled so far. They've, they've In their six league games so far this season, they've had five different formations that they started with. Um, of course, the, the, the starting line has changed quite considerably. I was actually quite impressed with their summer business, um, but they just kind of baffled me a little bit in regards to their underlying numbers, because you mentioned... The goal scoring and and you know they've only scored two goals so far this season. So you think, oh my god, that's the that's the biggest problem for them. It's the goal scoring. You know, to average just just over 0.3 goals a game is obviously poor. And their but their xG is actually 1.16 on average. So they are creating some chances. You know, it's not it's not huge numbers, but it's significantly higher than what they're actually 
that are actually hitting the back of the net. And you do expect that to to change and, and to kind of even out as the season progresses. So yeah, on the surface, and I think I think that fits in with what you mentioned about Marmaria, because you're associating with being solid and setting up teams to be really difficult to beat. They were really impressive in the second half of last season. But they're conceding an XG of 1.5 every game, a 1.63 every game, and they are conceding 1.5 goals. So they're very similar. And yeah, it's actually keeping the ball out of net, which is a real challenge for them. They've gone behind first in, in, in four of their six games and they've really struggled to get back into it, haven't they? And so for me, and this is this, I think Dina Mamria, I don't like to kind of call people out for jobs. Dina Mamria for, for me is probably probably quite likely to be high on the list for in terms of odds to maybe lose his job soon. And because all of the kind of the attributes that you're associating with, they're kind of not they're not present at all at the moment. You know, Burton are, are getting carved open quite regularly most games and they're struggling to put the ball in the net. That's not a good that's not a good place to be. We mentioned kind of Shrewsbury are struggling to put the ball in the net, but they are keeping it out on the whole. They are being hard to beat. Burton really aren't, sadly. Um so yeah, I, I think if they if they can stay in games for that little bit longer, they'll be able to get a bit of a foothold in the games. But they're coming back from goal down almost every game at some point. And that's a really difficult situation to be in. So yeah, I, I worry for Burton to be honest. But let's be honest, they, they started last season terribly and then they bought a brand new team in January and were brilliant after after Christmas. So that'll probably just happen again. And one thing that Burton do actually do, to be fair, is that it, they do tend to stick with managers. I mean, since they've been in the Football League, they only really tend to sack managers if they are on a horrendous run. I remember when Jake Buxton was in charge, I think they went on a run of uh, something like one winning 13 or something in there and eventually did get the chop. So they do give you time, I believe. But obviously, I, I do kind of agree with you, Chris. I think if it does carry on, then questions have got to be asked of uh, Dino Marmaria. Uh, we'll touch on the bottom two. Fleetwood, of course, joint bottom with Cheltenham. Um, obviously, we know about their off-field problems. Obviously, Scott Brown has lost his job. Going to be difficult for Fleetwood, I think. Obviously, they've never been relegated as an EFL side. But I just, I just don't see sort of any real salvation for them. I'm, you know, I'm not going to try and be the bearer of bad news, but you know, they've got the second worst defence in the league, and Leighton Orient have conceded more than them. Uh, according to Transmart, they've got the second lowest shots on goal in League One in their opening six games with 71. They've made the most fouls given away, 14 and a half on average. It's seen they've lost five in a row. I just worry about whether the sort of Goals are going to come from. I do like Stockley in terms of what he brings. I like Marriott in his combination. I think him staying there might have actually been quite crucial because if they did lose him to potentially Oxford, then they would have been really in deep, deep trouble. But it would have been a lot worse if they did lose Marriott in that sense. I just don't, at the moment, feel inspired by Fleetwood unless Johnson comes in. If it is to be him as the manager, we still don't know yet. I just don't know if he's going to get them out of it. There's a, a, a team there that you could always rely on Fleetwood to be quite sort of able to just get a result at somewhere. I just feel like they're not going to get that at the moment. That's my real only concern. And it probably is the same with the side, unfortunately. Bottom of the table in Cheltenham, of course, Johnny, yet to score a goal. We know they're about their issues. Obviously, Chris sort of mentioned about Dino Marmaria possibly being behind the earth of a sacking. Probably Wade Elliott is probably the top of that list, isn't he? Because if it doesn't improve, then things will definitely get soured at Cheltenham, a club that don't again tend to really sack managers unless yeah. things go really badly wrong. Again, a bit like Fleetwood, I just don't see any sort of change at all in what's going to happen. It's just a very weird squad. I mean, if you make 
seven loan signings in the first month of the season. And obviously you can only have five in the squad. I think yeah. it kind of tells a lot about your team. I look at some of the forwards. I think, you know, they just don't look like they're going to get you 10 goals, you know, Goodwin or Keener or Rob Street. They're probably strikers who work well in a two if they do play it, but not going to get you goals if they play up front on their own. It just doesn't seem to me that, that Cheltenham have got any sort of, if I was a fan of them, feeling like we've got we've got something to get us out of it because it just feels like there's nothing there at the moment. No, totally. I totally agree. It's, it's, it's hard to watch, isn't it, for a Cheltenham fan? Like, you know, no goals, no wins. And like you say, you can't really see where it's coming from. It's not like they've been closing games and you're thinking, oh, they, they should deserve to win that. It's it's And then, like you said, the, the depth of the players that have come in, the youngsters that they've got there. There's not really an out-and-out proven goal scorer that you think, oh, somebody will come in and get 10 goals, 12 goals. It's, it's hard work, isn't it? I mean, now that you know they've got till January with what they've got, um, like I say, seven lone players when you can only pick five, is it because you know it's not a club that player wants to go to, or, or so they're just kind of getting who they can? And you know, for Wade Elliott, who who's going to take over a club struggling at the bottom where they are and in and real difficulties? And you can't really see a, see a positive way out of it for them. No, you really cannot. And you just hope for Cheltenham it can turn around. So we've done the review at the table in order from 1 to 24. And that's it for this week's uh, League One podcast. A little bit different to usually what we do because of the short volume of matches. We've obviously done something a little bit different and sort of discussed each side season so far. Thanks as ever to the sort of guests and experts involved for their wonderful knowledge and insight on, of course, certain teams, topics and sort of various matters that have happened all across the third tier uh, this week. So, pleasure as always, gentlemen. Thank you very much for that. Thank you. Remember, of course, uh, just to remind you again, don't be afraid to give us five-star ratings on any podcast platform that you choose. Uh, and you do listen to the uh, sort of e real EFL League One podcast. On, of course, and if you need to, then we'll listen to previous episodes of the League Two podcast, which, of course, no doubt is a very good list as well and of course they've got a lot more guests in this week's episode given of course they had a full fixture list as well but of course we're down for another week and we're done for another episode have a great week and we'll see you again very very soon bye for now It's the 90th minute and all your mates around watching your team on iFollow. You've got your McNuggets share box on the go. And do you know what? Your mates already got booked for double dipping. But then later on, you steal in, grab the last nugget and snatch all three points. Perfect. Why not order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app? Are you in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. 
This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.